0: Take it away. Peace and light, we're going to talk about this morning. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. So, um, we've traveled down some deep uh, uh, wood, you know, into the deep woods of the soul in the past few weeks. And to appreciate the ups, you got to understand the downs, right? So, uh, you know, the the sun always shines brighter after the darkness clears, right? Um, one of the greatest things about humanity is that although we have drifted so far from god which we've talked about for the past couple weeks we are capable we are capable of being restored hello schwambergers i'm glad you could make it <laughs> don't you hate it you hate it that the door is in the front of the room that's i it just it's just so tempting to make fun of you anyway i'm sorry um but, but we are capable of being restored, right? And restoration, which is magnified even greater because of the fact that we've gone so far away in the first place that we've drifted so far from God and that relationship with him and, and the ways that he wants us to live. And so, uh, We've heard in the past couple weeks that the psalmists say that we're sinful from birth, Psalm 51. We've heard Jeremiah in the last few weeks say that our hearts are deceitful and beyond cure. That sounds like a pretty strong statement, but it's true. Last week, we heard John Calvin say the surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves. And some of you are like, what? Some of you are like, yeah, that's pretty true, Right? But neither Scripture nor John Calvin leave us without hope. Calvin continues to say, he says, For as the surest source of destruction to men is to obey themselves, so the only haven of safety is to have no other will, no other wisdom, than to follow the Lord wherever He leads. By the way, that's what I want to be. I want to be the guy that just follows the Lord. Whenever he speaks to me, no matter how crazy it sounds, I want to be able to do it. And I don't feel like I'm there yet, all right? Um, So pray for me in that. Pray that I become a pastor who is willing to go wherever Jesus leads me, even if it's crazy. I mean, I've had really crazy thoughts, like like suspend a chair over Route 30 and sit there for a week and have people pass food up to me and just pray over the town and then have people say, why the heck did you do that? Because I was praying for you. I'm praying for. You. What do you want me to pray for? I have crazy thoughts like that. How do you get this? How do you get their permission? Right? Somebody's got to preach on Sunday because I got to be up on my chair. But anyway, that's that's the crazy stuff that I think about. All right. I'm an artist. It's a little weird inside my brain. But um, no other wisdom than to follow the Lord wherever He leads. Let this then be the first step to abandon ourselves, and that's that's a pretty comprehensive word and devote the whole energy of our minds and remember our minds are the seat of not only our logic but also our emotion that is where our heart is we feel our heart here but it is actually originating from here heart and mind are the same thing in scriptural language right so devote the whole energy of our minds to the service of god like in everything i think and everything i do and how i live and what i do with my money and what I do with my time, and what I do with my conversations, and everything, right? What he's referring to, what John Calvin is referring to, isn't simply a verbal proclamation of dedication from the believer. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church occasionally, (laughs) right? He's not saying that. He is talking about a wholehearted life change of absolute, total allegiance to Christ. One in which is seen in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar verses, but uh, a couple verses that we're going to camp on a little bit this morning. It says, in, starting in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, all of us, right? In view of God's mercy, in other words, in view of what God has done for us, in view of what God has done in Christ for us, right? To offer your bodies. What is your body? Your body is the housing for everything body mind soul everything everything is in in this body this body is extremely important right so uh offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship and back in that time there was a a a system of thought called gnosticism which you may or may not be familiar with and in short it was like these few special people got a special knowledge, this gnosis, right? They got this special knowledge, and it created this dis- dichotomy between body and and this special knowledge or the soul out here. So it, it divided nature and the divine. And Francis Schaeffer writes about this book that I, I talked to you about, Escape from Reason, that we we've, we've even perpetuated that divide, right? And so he said, they said that you, only special people get the special knowledge, and that's how you get saved. So the body becomes unimportant. So it created two kinds of people, one who just punished the body to, to make it conform to what the special knowledge was, but the other people who just did whatever they wanted in the body, totally free because it didn't matter. Body is evil. Spirit is divine or spirit is great, Right? So uh, this, Romans 12, 1 and 2, is the non-Gnostic view of the body. It is the biblical worldview of the whole self, right? The body as creation of God, part and parcel of all of our spiritual being. We don't need to kill it off. We don't need to deny its needs. We don't need to beat it into submission. And we don't need to disregard the importance of what we do in the body. Everything of what we do in the body is important. We are called to submit our body's whole self to, uh, as living sacrifices in obedience to Christ's will. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Notice this is in the act of voice. It's something that I do. I conform myself. And if you're not thinking, you are still conforming yourself. You're being being influenced by your your culture and you're buying into it, doing something with it, right? It's in the act of voices. It's what we typically do with our minds, right? We conform them to what society and culture dictate of us. Just like we saw it talked about a lot last week. And the common worldview, that's the common, like, sort of cultural worldview out there, which is, uh, with all of its beliefs, with all of its values, and everything about it, which is contrary to the biblical worldview. It just is. So we meld our minds with the rest, we nestle them into the thinking of our contemporaries, and, and then Paul continues, right? He says, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is there goes the bells (laughs) Um, i'm gonna like i don't know never mind anyway but his good pleasing and perfect will and that last bit if you've ever heard me preach on this passage before that last bit is in the passive voice right it is done to you right Be transformed. Something else is transforming my mind. Something else is transforming your mind. It's outside intervention. It's the revealed word word of God coming into me and changing me and transforming me. God's given us that intervention through his word and through his spirit. When we receive Christ, we receive the spirit of God and he comes into us and he changes us from the inside out. And also through the community of faith, through the local church, not the broad church. The local church. We influence each other more so than the broad church does, right here in this room, right? And through all of that, we understand his will, right? Notice that, notice this, and I think this is an extremely important point, and it's one that we wrestle with. Notice that understanding doesn't precede submission. Understanding does not precede submission. In other words, I, especially in my mainline intelligence, I want to know all the answers before I'm going to submit to you. I want to know what it's all about. I want to understand everything before I actually say I'm going to trust you with my life. But that's not how God works. We, the submission precedes understanding. I give all of myself to Jesus. And then over time, I understand. We submit first. And in that, God will reveal his reasons and he will ground our understanding in time. Maybe that'll be even after the end of days, after he comes back or after I die. Maybe I won't understand everything by the moment I die. Who cares? It's not that important, right? And also, we saw in Ephesians 4, 20-24, which we looked at a little bit last week, it says the same thing. It's a parallel passage. That whoever, however, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new... In the attitude of your minds. In other words, to have God transform your minds. You, you're made new. Something's doing it to you, right? And to put on the new self, created to be like God in, in true righteousness and holiness. Sorry. <clears throat> Verse 24 there reminds us that we have a part to play in this whole interaction with God, in this whole relationship, that we actively, as in Romans 12, 1 and 2, put ourselves in the receiving position of taking on the life of God. As in the words of Jesus, he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Submit first, and you'll get understanding. Seek first, and everything will be given to you. Right? It's the saying the same thing. Right? And we know, and we, sometimes we don't like passages like I'm about to read, but we know that Scripture speaks against certain outward behaviors, especially when they, they speak so strongly against our culture, as in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, which says this. Do you not know... That wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. Swindler. When, when do we use that word? Here's a swindler, right? <laughs> it's kind of a silly word. Will inherit the kingdom of God, right? In other words... We can't seek to live in ways with our lives which fly in the face of God's direction and God's leading as God defines life. Things that are inconsistent with the biblical worldview have to be thrown out. They have to be turned away from. And due to God's holiness, anyone who's convinced that they can live however they want and however they please is fooling themselves. They cannot walk the same corridors and have harmony with Jesus. It doesn't work like that. We submit first, we get understanding later, and Jesus makes the rules. Paul continues, verse 11, and that is what some of you were, past tense, but you were washed. You were sanctified. Sanctified means transformed, changed. You were justified. Justified means, it's a legal term, means I've been declared righteous. I've been declared free before God as a result of what Christ did on the cross and, and rising from the grave. So you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So were, past tense, four times right there. You are no longer that person if you are in Jesus. You are no longer that wrongdoer. You are no longer that person that kicks against the goads of God. There is a great little passage concerning marriage in Ephesians 5, which I'm sure you may have read, and if you haven't, you should. And in it, we're told how a husband's love for his wife is reflective of Christ's love for his bride, the church, us, right? It says, husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. Not in how the world tells you to love your wife. Because the world says, well, if she's not measuring up, you can choose to just divorce and get away from her. Right? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy. And this is the important part. Cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word... And to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Amen. Right? Christ cleanses his bride by washing her with the word. That is, in a sense, spiritual formation. Allow, putting myself in the position of allowing Jesus to wash me with the Word. The life of God coming alive in us through the washing of the Word as we are prepared for the bridegroom. Jesus makes you holy through carefully washing you with the Word of God. And sometimes the Word stings in our open wounds. But it has a healing power as it changes us. You know, as 1 Corinthians 6 speaks negatively concerning certain outward behaviors. We remember, though, that true behavioral change happens only with true heart change from inside out. It's not just a forced thing on the outside. The washing by the Word of God. And that's what verse 11 refers to. Let me read it again. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Amen. Amen. And all that was done to you and is being done to you. It's in the passive voice in a sense because of what Christ has done on the cross for us in life. It's the receiving of the outside intervention which which changes us from the inside out. We are justified when God looks at us. He sees Christ's perfect record. But in our life, we are being transformed and sanctified over time. And so reading these heavy passages, we balance them with the whole of Scripture. If my heart, if, if my heart is changed, then my behavior will naturally change because my heart has changed, right? Now, sometimes change happens in the flash, like in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the blink of an eye, right? When I first came to Christ, there were certain things about me that just changed, right? Right away. Um, but sometimes it happens over long periods of time. You know, it depends on the person. It depends on uh, how rooted that negative behavior is in them and how willing and aware we are to walk out our faith in partnership with the Holy Spirit through the spiritual formation process. And that's where teaching comes in and preaching comes in and, and Bible studies come in and, and reading comes in and praying comes in because we need to be engaged in the process. We understand that God does it. Philippians two thirteen says, "For it is God who works in you to will and to act in accordance, in order to fulfill His good purpose." So we understand that it is God working in us to change us. But we also remember, like in Romans twelve and Ephesians four, that we have a part to play. We have a role here, as verse twelve, you know, as uh, verse uh, twelve of Philippians two reveals. It says, "Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed." not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, it's, with seriousness, like take it seriously. Working life out through willing obedience to Jesus means the crucial step in our lives of self-denial. That's not Self-denial is not in the modern vocabulary, is it? It is not, not at all. Self-fulfillment is, right? But not self-denial. Which, you know, in and of itself, it might sound like self-rejection. It might sound like a, like all the psychologists in the room would be like, oh, that's not a good thing to do. But that's not what it is. It's not a tooth and nail, teeth-grinding process full of pain and stress. That's not self-denial in the biblical sense. Self-denial in the biblical sense, is a calm submission to the hand of a loving God with all confidence and trust that he will do a good work in me over time, that his ways are better for me than what I think because my heart is deceitful. It's a settled condition. It's the mature Christian saying, okay, I'm settled with God. Sometimes it's described as death to self or death of self, right? Death of that almighty sinful self, which that flesh, the scripture calls it, and we'll look at that later, which wants to govern, still to govern our own lives. Remember the story of Adam and Eve last week, still wants to govern our own lives. We still want to play God in our own lives. And it seeks only to have its desires satiated at the cost of our own soul, our bodily life, and even our community. That thing which leads us astray and it kicks at the goads of a godly life, right? Death of self or self-denial, whichever term you want to use, is the crucial foundation of Christian spiritual formation. Nothing happens without that. It's like the alcoholic coming to their rock bottom and realizing I am an alcoholic (laughs) and I need the higher power to do something in me. It's the same thing. Same thing. And this is why we must begin with a solid foundation of belief in the absolute truth of Scripture, which so many people are attacking these days. So this absolute truth of Scripture, which flies in the face of our modern society's morally relativistic bent that we spoke of so much last week. But there's not only a need to believe God at His word, there's also this real cost of following jesus if that that wasn't hard enough there's this real cost of following jesus a cost that many of us don't really want to acknowledge or don't want to talk about jesus spoke of it in this way in matthew 10 and there's plenty of parallel passages but verse 34 it says do not suppose that i have come to bring peace to the earth i did not come to bring peace but a sword now we'll talk about that in a minute For I have come to turn a man against his father. This is Jesus talking, okay? I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Mark 8, parallel passage, he says, for whatever whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Wow. You know, part of that Matthew 10 passage doesn't seem to jive with what we've preached here at (laughs) 6.8. I recognize that, that Jesus came to establish a kingdom of peace. Well, here's the answer. He did come to establish a kingdom of peace, no matter what he says there in, in, in that verse. He did, but he brings a sword to do that. What he's saying is in that, that in this interim time before, before peace is fully established in in the world under the kingdom, God's kingdom, his kingdom of peace, his message will in some relationships bring discord and division. It will slice right through relationships. If dad doesn't follow Christ and son does, there's division. If daughter wholeheartedly follows Jesus, but mom doesn't, mom rejects him, there's discord. If Jesus is saying that everything in, in your life, everything, every relationship comes second to your relationship with him. That's lordship, by the way. And there, that's a serious cost for some of us. Moms. Uh, one just walked out with their baby, right? Moms, even your own children come second to Jesus. Wow, that's a hard one, right? Can you say that honestly? Can, could you be like Abraham and willingly walk your little Isaac to the altar? Right? Could you, could you walk your child to the altar? The strangest thing is, here's the strangest thing, is that in putting Jesus first before your children, for your kids to see that, that they see mom and dad love Jesus above and beyond all else, even them, that's the best thing for your kids. Isn't that strange? If you want to see a living example of this, look at Timothy's story, uh, which is in the study material for this week. I think it should be up by tomorrow. He's a Muslim, an Iraqi Muslim who um, gives his life to Christ and immediately his family just goes ballistic and tries to kill him. And he has to move from Iraq and change his name and he moved to Lebanon. Now he's working with a ministry there. Jesus brought a sword to that relationship. Not because... Timothy was a jerk to his family, but because Timothy changed his allegiance to Jesus. That's the sword, right? And then Jesus ends this little passage in Matthew 10 uh, uh, saying, we, we've got to take up our cross and follow him. Well, what's a cross? And where was Jesus going when he was carrying his, his cross, when he took up his cross, right? Well, it's an obvious symbol of death, right? Right? Jesus was carrying his own instrument of death up that hill to Golgotha. So he uses this as a foreshadow, not only of his own sacrifice, but as a symbol of their own death of self, our own death of self, which stands in the way of our full allegiance to him. Because Jesus died, because that event happened, Because he rose again from the grave, then and only then can we willingly walk in his footsteps to our own death of self and find freedom from that which has kept us in bondage, the sinful self. Amen. So if you're just looking to satisfy the self, the flesh, as Paul talks about in Romans later, to find your life, To simply satiate your desires, you'll lose everything you seek. You will. It's a promise. It's an axiom of life. You may not lose it today or tomorrow or 10 years from now. Or you may not even feel that before you die. But you will lose your life. You will lose everything that you've sought. Remember last week we said that our appetites only get bigger as we feed them. What does that show, the Stranger Things, and that little monster, and he feeds it like candy bars, and the thing just gets bigger and bigger? That's our sinful life. That's our, that's our flesh, right? But whoever willingly gives up the self for the sake of Jesus will find their life in full, at greater levels, handed back to them for eternity. That is the promise of Jesus. We have to simply be willing to lay down that ruined life, which plagues us so badly anyway, which has never and will never work in our favor. It doesn't do anything for us. And in thinking about Golgotha, interestingly, we have these two criminals crucified uh, 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 next to Jesus on his right and his left, right? And one which valued his own self and, and refuses Jesus, and he lost his life that day. Called Jesus a common criminal. He's like, go ahead talking to that guy. He's a common criminal just like us, right? And the other guy accepts Jesus. The other guy's like, no, he's done nothing wrong, but they're still nailing him up here. And right away, he finds life by losing his own life in Jesus that day. And Jesus says, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Did that guy do any good to get there? No, no. All he did was acknowledge he needs it. I'm an alcoholic. I need the higher power. Right? Living illustrations of his words. Two guys on the crosses right next to Jesus. And this is why self denial and death to self isn't burdensome. Rather, it is an absolute joy. It's an absolute joy because those of us who know Jesus, those of us who have walked with him, know that he is holy good. Absolutely, holy good. And he has our best intention in mind. Even if carrying our cross brings some pain in the moment, we know it's worth it. In laying down our lives day in and day out, we find more and more and more life all the time in Jesus. And this isn't something any of us needs to fully understand. You don't need to get it all. Just like in Romans 12. We don't need to understand it, yet it is something that we do need to practice. Submission precedes full understanding. In practice, we, are, we, we understand given time. In practice, we understand given time. And you've heard me say that I want to have a faith which can honestly say I don't care if I die in Jesus. I don't care if I physically die in Jesus, right? I, w- I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to say I'm such a fool for Christ that I'll even go to debt my death for him. Even our own physical well-being cannot come before Jesus. There's this falsehood about, like, if, if we're suffering, we're not really following Jesus. That's, no. Jesus promised that you're going to suffer. Jesus promised that some of you are going to die for him. <laughs> That's crazy. But it is this, the, the, the uh, spiritual life. And how much more so my daily desires would seek to entice and drag me away from true life with Him. I have to die to those things, right? And so when the self is on the throne of life, when I'm in control of my life, covetousness reigns. And covetousness is an old world word that we don't really use all that much anymore. But it means to have a great, powerful, overwhelming desire to have or to own something which belongs to somebody else. I'm always, whenever I'm in control of my life, I'm always wanting more. I'm always wanting what what Greg has, or what so-and-so has, or what this has. I want a Bugatti. I want a Bugatti. Do you know what a Bugatti is? I think it's the most expensive car made. 1,500 horsepower. I want a Bugatti. You could buy me that. But I couldn't afford to fix it. But drive it and get a flat and be like, just leave it on the side of the road. That's $3,000. Forget it. You know? It's so stupid, but... <laughs> and in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul reminds us that covetousness is idolatry. Right? It's idolatry. It's, it's the idolatry of self which makes my desires paramount over all else. It puts me at the center of all things. Remember this past week, if you were in community group, we, we looked at, I think we did this in community group, we looked at Exodus 20, the, the, the Ten Commandments, and how if you break any of the no, other nine commandments, you automatically break the first, which is to put God in, on the throne of life. The life of, of the flesh Paul speaks about in Romans 8, 5 through 8, says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, our sinful self, right? And that is, remember, that that he is speaking about our blindly following our individualistic Western worldview and not adopting and living out of a biblical worldview. That's what he's talking about. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. It's a totally different life, right? The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You can't. But that's not you. If you're in Christ, that's not you. As Paul stated in Romans just before this in verses 1 through 4, he said, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's a good thing to know, right? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It has no control over you anymore. So if you're feeling in bondage to something in your life, You are feeling, you're being duped. You have the power to overcome that in Christ. God can do something about that in your life. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. Christ was perfect. He did not have any sin, right? And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, and that is justice. That Christ takes on all this stuff, right? Might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So when Jesus says to find your life, you must lose it, He's saying you have to let go of control, that control that you exert over yourself and and willingly surrender control to Him. And that's life in the Spirit. The life in the flesh is restless, it is hostile, it is unsatisfied, it's inconstant, it's bored, it's anxious... It's constantly comparing itself to others. It's constantly not measuring up. And and it has old negative tapes running through its head all the time. It's in bondage. It's in prison. But life in the spirit is life and peace. Confident and hopeful, right? It feels no shame. It feels no condemnation because it's not condemned. It's comfortable in its own skin. It's okay with itself. Even if we make mistakes, we're okay with ourselves because of what Christ did for us. All of our measuring up to others or the world out there or the rules and the regulations and the standards that people put on us have all been taken away and satisfied in Christ. All of God's law has been satisfied in Christ. God's law wasn't thrown out. It is beautiful and it is right and it is what we should pursue. His standards still stand and as we come under Christ's covering, God sees Christ's perfect record on us. That's the difference. And in that life, we find peace and, and joy and all those other things. Internal peace, which leads to changed outward lives of people who seek true justice and peace themselves. Leading to the future final culmination of God's kingdom on earth someday. If we can turn away from being the center of attention. The ultimate point of reference for ourselves and for the world around us. You guys all revolve around me if you didn't know, right? Problem is, I revolve around you. How does that work, right? If we can give up from doing only that which we want to do and seeking our own kingdoms, only then can we really find true hope, right? As we turn away and by the way, that is repentance, turning away, crucifying that almighty self, our lives, our souls are then preserved, and we are given back and they are given back to us and magnified in comparison to the former self. I become what I'm really, truly meant to be in Christ. And here's the strangest thing, as we come under Christ's wing, His salvation and His Lordship, daily submitting ourselves to Him, we find change happening in us. And that is that we are free to do exactly what we want to do. We want to do what we want to do already, right? And then Jesus gives that back to us. Free to do exactly what we want to do. But here's the difference. Our desires have changed. They've become healthy. They've been replaced. It's like eating better. Before, when you only ate junk food, you know, your body craved that. You know, I've got to get a quarter pounder and fries from McDonald's because my body's like, oh, i got to have that. And all this fat and crap and they're empty calories just coming into my body. And, and your body craves those things when you feed it that for long enough. Right? This is physiology 101. Right? But as you start to put yourself in a position of receiving good foods... Like fruits and vegetables and water instead of soda. Your body starts to desire those things and loathe the things that are bad for you. Robin, Natalie Schaefer, their salt shaker is up in the top cabinet. Huh? They, never, they never use salt. And every time I go over there, I'm like, get your salt down. All right? Natalie, you nurse thinking about our health all the time no (laughs) but our old selfish self-centered heart with its brutish hurtful desires and it's it's all dead and buried in Christ alive in us now is a heart which only wants to please God it's a healthy heart it's a heart of flesh not a heart of stone and we find the only true freedom in which no human law can ever produce and, or, or, or and anyone ever can provide us through anything in the world. And that is, due to Christ's work on the cross, we'll want the good and we'll be empowered to live the good. Remember, Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. You will. It is a promise. We see that all around us in the news or in personal relationships. Some people think they're getting away with it, but they won't. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Not just life like yay, but eternal life yay. Right? There's a difference. The current culture's worldview, which you are immersed in, right? You are immersed, tells you that the goal, your goal in life is to secure and promote and indulge yourself. Self-fulfillment. The gospel says, set that world, throw it out, that life. Set it out, set it, set it aside. Submit yourself fully to Jesus, die to yourself. And in doing so, some of us worry that we're going to be bored or that we're going to be uninterested in things or, or that we're going to become uninteresting ourselves. That we'd have nothing to do or nothing to think on. and that We'd be boring. The alcoholic can't imagine a day without a drink. Somebody just recently said to me, I, I don't think I could go without that. But you could. But in time, none of that stuff matters as you begin to eat fruits and vegetables, as God's life in you pushes out all that by, deep, that, uh, by, by expanding your deeper knowledge in Christ and, and all the experiences that you have with God in life. And sometimes that process is, is filled with mourning and loss of our sinful self and the things that we wanted so badly. Sometimes we have to mourn the loss of our sin. We have to let it go. Let it it go fully means saying goodbye to it. It means we actually shovel the dirt on the grave of old behaviors and old thoughts, and we pat it down, and then we walk away and leave it buried. We don't go back and dig up the corpse, (laughs) which we sometimes want to do. It stinks. That corpse stinks, by the way. And what Jesus said to us before, right, which seems so crazy and so out of touch with reality that that, I could never do that. It's now the only thing that makes sense to you as you walk with him. He's the great surgeon cutting hurtful things out of us as if wielding the scalpel in the operating theater under his intentional loving care, we're healed and we begin to walk and enjoy life without without that disease which plagued us so spiritually and emotionally. But some of you, and I put myself in this category, not wagging my finger at you personally. Some of you can't see life differently. You can't. And you come here and you listen to me and your eyes glaze over because you're not listening. <laughs> I see them too. <laughs> Maybe that's because it was an extra hour this morning. But you, some of you can't see life differently. I want you to listen. Because I preached on blue in the face sometimes. And I want you to listen because it, it's important. You can't see life without a drink in your hand, Right? You can't see life without pornography or mindless entertainment or argumentative and destructive relationships all around you. You can't see life any differently than that. You can't envision or imagine a life where you don't think of yourself as stupid or unimportant or small. You can't fathom living in full confidence in peace and in joy. You can't can't imagine that. And you think... You think that those of us who say that we are secure in Christ are just lying or we are simple-minded idiots. But we're not. We're not. And you can be different in Jesus. You can live differently. And it's a matter of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Of submitting before understanding. Of allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work in you through the ministrations of God's Word. Of daily washing with the Word. And it only takes small, intentional, everyday decisions of placing yourself in the position of being worked on. How? It's fairly simple make Sunday's priority, come to church. Get into a community group. Read Renovation of the Heart as we go through this, this study together. Pick, get that book and start reading it as, we, as you listen to the sermons. Engage with it, right? Start, start actually praying. Don't just say, I'll pray for you. <laughs> pray for somebody right then on the spot. Pray. Pray. Allow Jesus to wash you daily with his word. Take your thoughts Captive to Christ and let him transform them into something that is worthy of being a child of God. Because a lot of those thoughts are not that worthy. Understand who you are in Jesus. Understand how special you are, how loved you are, how blessed you are, how changed you can be. How justified you are. You've been made righteous in Christ. Show up. Engage. Share his message with somebody else. That was, that's exhilarating. I had a good time this week. Love somebody else well. Allow Jesus to work on you through the avenues of church, your church family, of this church, and his word, and, and the spirit of God. Because like John Calvin said, let this then be the first step to abandon ourselves and devote the whole energy of our minds to the service of God. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are here and you are present. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the change that you bring to our lives. I thank you for the freedom that we experience in you from those things which trip us up and hurt us all throughout life. I pray for renewal. I pray for... Renovation of our hearts, that, that it would be like we're flipping the house, that we come in and we clean everything out, we pull off old paneling, drywall, rotted boards, we pull out, we rip out, and that might hurt a little bit, and we throw them out and we burn them in a big pile in the backyard, and we throw them in a dumpster and we get rid of it all. And then you, with your work belt on, sort of like Santa's image of you, with a work shirt and jeans on and just working to renovate our hearts and make it new make it smell brand new new carpeting new hardwood floors new windows new roof things don't leak the fireplace works the plumbing works the electricity is up to date it's just a beautiful beautiful image of you taking over our lives and renovating us and we pray that we would just put ourselves in front of you every single day to allow that to happen both individually and together as a community.